Welcome to Accounting High. Does it ever get overwhelming? Does all of this change and everything happen? Does it get overwhelming? Yeah, absolutely. How do you cope with that? Gratitude. I focus on what I'm grateful for. Whenever I get angry or frustrated or start to get a little negative, I, I circle back to what I'm grateful for. That's a great way to be. And it sounds like you've got a lot of foundational tools and things to help keep you motivated, but also to keep you grounded. That yoga, the gratitude, if you lose your focus and you lose why you're doing all of this and who you're doing it for, that's going to get even more frustrating and more overwhelming and you're going to get into a darker and darker, darker place. Class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids. Do you like operations? It's Wednesday, accounting high, talking systems and processes, talking shop about operational balances, accounting, workbench to workflow challenges, hybrid teams for Pete's sake. I'm trying to manage through screens, but I can't figure out what Zoom windows my next meeting. And Dr. K says, Acuity uses EOS. Uh-huh. Entrepreneurial operating system. Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud. Join us as we go deep. I'll try not to run it to the ground. We're sharing profit and loss and managing back office attacks. Staff just quit, tried to hire on LinkedIn, no luck. And scope creep team count cast, automate tax, compliance transactions, ID and bottlenecks. Come on, ops. Scotty, wait a minute, it's my firm, dog. I know, and I said you could run it however you want. Hi, class is in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi. Ed Sullivan and Scotty OKR. We're going to have a problem here. Class is in session. I've got with us Teddy Sullivan, not to be confused with the original Ed Sullivan. He's been on the show already. He's on again. You can catch him at our first his first episode on Tech Time was from cloud CEO to desktop CPA. He has come to us, a renewed man from New Jersey, live in person, Teddy Sullivan. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I've heard that you are back to a cloud CEO from our previous conversation. You're coming fresh off a new acquisition in the accounting space. Why don't you introduce our guest? If they haven't heard your first episode, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us how you got into this mess of accounting and tax and becoming a CPA. Sure. Um, so my name is Teddy Sullivan, and I am a CPA. Uh, my CPA license is in North Carolina, but I now have reciprocal rights in New Jersey. So I am a licensed CPA in two states. Uh, my mother says I should get one in Massachusetts as well, just for her own happiness. Uh, I got into accounting because I was pretty good at math 
And I kind of always thought I would get into sales or magically everyone would know I was smart and I'd get a high paying job out of college. And when I learned that that wasn't how the world worked and I actually had to have a skill, um, accounting kind of made sense based on my natural skill sets. And so I went to grad school, uh, got an MS MBA from Northeastern and then uh, did audit at Deloitte for a couple of years, did internal control work at a couple of firms, and then um, decided, uh, why don't I sell? Well, I think sales was the right call after all. So I, I kind of was was pivoting and You wanted thinking, to make some money. Wanted to make that make that green paperback. So, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I, I was a little um, disillusioned at working for big companies, you could say a little bit. And I wanted to get a different feel for, for what Well, you worked for like. zero. True, true. But I, I felt like I was working at a startup inside of a, a big, huge company, especially in Canada. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a different type of company too. The, I've, I've heard you talk about it on the podcast. It's a culture. <laughs> yeah. Zero is my ground zero. That's, that's where it all got started. It's, it's, it's a vibe for sure. It's, it's not just a GL. So that's kind of how we met through a mutual acquaintance at Zero, Dave Ammerman, shout out. You bought a firm fairly recently. You acquired a firm not within the last couple of years, right? That's right. Three, Just over three years ago, I bought a firm in, in Scotty's backyard um, in Raleigh, Cary, North, North Carolina. Carol, Raleigh, North Cary. Carolina. Yep. Why on earth would you go and buy a firm after working for tech companies, after doing sales? Why on earth would you want to go and do the accounting work now? I was working really closely with a lot of firm owners and they taught me all of their dirty secrets as they tried to learn how to use the cloud. And in exchange for that information, I, I worked hard to try to help them make that transition happen. And as everybody who's done it knows, it's a little bit painful and both internally and externally. And so, yeah, I kind of had a real feel for what that pain was like, but I also knew that firms that had done it or that started in the cloud had some big advantages over firms that didn't. And the vast majority of firms weren't doing it. And so I saw opportunity and yeah, I scoured brokerages around the U S and Canada and found a firm in carry that was bookkeeping only. And as I mentioned last time on the show, uh, CPAs won't sell to non CPAs. So there were only so many firms that were not being sold by CPA firms. There are thousands of CPA firms for sale on any given day, but only, you know, 10 or 15 bookkeeping shops you can find on these brokerage websites. So yeah. So you went through the very long, hard journey of getting your CPA in your mid to late thirties. You went and you went and did the thing and you actually did it. Since I had met you, you were starting on your journey and you got your CPA last year. Congratulations. You are a CPA in both North Carolina and New Jersey, maybe one day in Massachusetts too. So now you get your pick of the litter and you're off to buy another firm. So if you want to hear about Teddy's journey with the first firm he bought, it was all desktop. It was all QuickBooks desktop and he had to create his own new systems and processes around that and that was a struggle and i made fun of you during that episode because you only had like five clients on the cloud at the time maybe 10 and the rest of them were all on desktop why don't you update our students on how that's going yeah i am proud to say that more than half of our clients are now in the cloud non-zero and 
we still use some QuickBooks desktop. We still have a few clients. We go to my PC and to do the books, but it, the vast majority of our clients are in the cloud. So the team has really started to see the benefits, what's in it for them type of thing. And we have gotten over some of those learning curves and the learning hump that can be oh so painful for the first three or six months or two years, depending on how fast you move. And yeah, it's, we're finally starting to cook with fire heading into this year end with regards to kind of all new clients every it's it's going in zero uh which, cooking with crisco your dad is one of those clients is he on the in the cloud he was one of those first five or ten so i'm proud to say he he had we had just transitioned him i think when we talked yeah to two years ago or whenever that was year and a half i year forgot ago. if he was one of the holdouts or not because it was a you know that, that's always a, a problem too when you got family or friends and they don't want to do something. It's hard to tell them the way. So that's good. You're converting. You're elevating your game. And again, you're not satisfied. So you're looking off to buy another firm. Yes, sir. I have a life partner in New Jersey. And she is also a... She's currently an expired CPA, will soon be a CPA again. That's a big part of why I've decided to buy a firm in New Jersey. And she is going to be a part of the new venture in New Jersey. So that's the big reason as far as location. But the but but yeah, excited to, to grow and well, buy another firm. I, I've I wanted to buy another firm anyway. But Okay, that was the question. Not the location of the other firm because you were off possibly buying another firm in Nashville at one point. You were all over the place. What is the hunger for another firm? What drives that? Why? I think this this firm's very different with regards to the way it's the revenue is, is is largely tax. So this will be a different beast, to be honest, compared to the first firm I bought. First firm was more books, more bookkeeping. Two thirds bookkeeping revenue, yeah. And this one's eight percent bookkeeping revenue. So are you looking to fill a void something? to fill in or are you looking to grow to a certain point? What's the drive to acquire another firm at this stage? I want to bring my life partner in as a business partner. And honestly, it's about cash flow within the business makes more sense for us to both be involved in the business if it's twice as big. And the firm we're buying is almost exactly the same with regards to top line revenue. So oh, dope. Um, So now you're, so or you're really rounding it out as far as the makeup of the work. You've got enough that you can cross offer, do tax for all your clients at the other firm, and you can start doing books for these tax clients. Is that right? Exactly right. The cross-pollination. And I think that it's about the firm I'm buying, the process is, it's got a lot to be desired with regards to being repeatable and, and being not on paper. What There's a mean, filing on paper. There's a filing cabinet system, and that's how they know when returns are ready to review. So it's and not file cabinet like the file cabinet we used before ShareFile in UltraTax. There was they had a file cabinet there. This was a physical file cabinet you're talking about. This is four physical filing cabinets next to each other. We still need more documents. It's you can prepare the return. It's you can review the return. And it's this return is ready for invoice. So yeah, there's four filing cabinets next to each other and and they process fifteen hundred personal tax returns. So they're full. And it's quite a and again, I'm trying my hardest to learn everything I can from that, maybe duplicate some of that work via scanning the information in so that this is the last year that, that happens. And also just trying to learn from the process what's important that needs to 
still happen when we do this digitally and what's duplicative and doesn't need to still happen. So yeah, just trying to study. I'm going to get crucified for saying this, but I miss that. I've worked at firms that had physical, (laughs) you could see the work in front of you. You could see how much of it there was. You could see all the stacks of returns and know that you're physically making progress on stuff. And I took a couple of folders. I worked through all the source docs. I stamped them. I think I remember scanning them in too afterwards and then put them back. And I know that I made progress that day. I know I did something online. You're just moving things around everything on the computer. It's like, okay, what do I got to do today? And, and, and all that. I'm, I'm really kind of making a joke, but I'm serious. Like I do kind of miss the simplicity of that because now the sky's the limit when you're working in the cloud and you're increasing your capacity and you're automating everything, then you can do more. And then it just, it felt like it was never ending. So, but also the journey to change and the change management, that's hard. You're about to embark on another pretty big journey. First, you're trying to take clients from desktop and now you're trying to take clients from physical paper forms. They're coming into an office, dropping off their forms. All of those clients are going to have to now change. Are you excited about this change again? They actually do use Lysio. I don't know if you're familiar with Lysio at all. Shout out to Chris at Lysio. Chrisio. I I might need an introduction to Chris at Lysio because uh, I might need a friend over there because I need to get good at Lysio. They have implemented it, but only 10% of their clients are actually using it. So um, yeah. I'm going to make a bigger push on that since they already have that process in place. Let's just push real hard on that um, and maybe turn 10% into 50% or something this year. And then, um, yeah. It's a beautiful way to communicate with your clients. It's the front office. It's the front end that you can handle most everything. It's got the document management there too. It's That's going to be great. And if they've already gotten that started, then you can build processes around that. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Exactly right. They have it. But like I said, it's not being used enough, but that's good. That That's something that they, at least the old owners are going to help us push hard this tax season. And they know that we're going to want to use that more and more. And yeah, that can be the start of our process being more digital and better. More um, digital, more better. So you've always been excited about change. Your, your whole MO when you first bought the first firm was I'm going to get everybody scanners, get them ready to scan their stuff in. We're going to go full cloud. And you were super excited about it. It doesn't sound like you've been too discouraged by that, but tell me some of the challenges of trying to get a traditional mindset client and employee to change. Tell me some of the challenges that you've gone through there. First of all, Scott, I am a human being. I I am averse and scared of change, just like the rest of us. But <laughs> I I guess well, I, tell, I tell us the name of your website. Tell tell our listeners, our students, the name. Isn't it human um, something? Human taxes is going to be the new website for the new business. Oh, that's new. Human accounting partners is my current current business's website in North Carolina. Hack. And, uh, oh no, HAP. HAP, not hack. Yeah. Yeah. So that HAP. But but I'd love to get if anyone owns HAP.com, let me know. I, give me a price. I you know, let's do it. But the shorter um, URL is always better. Exactly. Human accounting partners. I love that name. And human taxes. I love that name too. Bringing the human element into it while still changing. So again, you're human. So tell us. You've said this before that the fear of change is greater than the, or the pain of fear, (laughs) the pain of change. Yes, please. The perceived 
pains the the pains of the present have to be greater than the perceived pains of change. The pains of the present have to be greater than the perceived pains of change in order for you to move forward with that change. Because otherwise, if it's not that painful in the present, you're going to keep doing things the way you were doing it. If you're making enough money, things are going well, you're doing okay, then why change, right? Exactly. So I guess I know that it will be better after that change. And so it, it is more painful for me than it is for somebody else who doesn't, hasn't been in that other world or seen that other sure. uh, process. And so, yeah, the firm that we're, we're, we're looking at, they do a great job serving their clients, serve client services, exceptional. So there's certain things like that, that we want to just learn from them and, and learn from their process and incorporate that into our digital world. Right. But by the same token, there's a lot of opportunity to, to maybe charge a little bit more and to maybe sell some different services throughout the year. Like you said, more bookkeeping, maybe some more tax planning services and Q3, Q4. And, and so even if it's not all just, you know, and we want more businesses. So in the past, they've kind of said, hey, we don't want to do bookkeeping. They turned off the bookkeeping spigot, so to speak, as a lot of CPA firms do, as we both know. That's well, where- you get too busy during tax season, too burnt out. Why add more work? That's right. The, the, uh, all the, those 200, $300 returns make you tired. And like you said, they need a break. They've made enough money during tax season. They're fine breaking even for the rest of the year. And yeah, I would rather build a business that makes money four quarters a year. So I saw a recent post by our friend, Ryan Lazanis, and he said, you can automate everything in your firm and you may only get about 10% better. The first thing you have to do is attack your processes, attack your system, fix that first fix your pricing, fix your systems, fix your processes before you could even think about automating everything because automating is really not going to help. You could automate everything you can. And if you're still charging two or $300 a return, you're not making any money. You're, you're basically, it's a race to the bottom. So tell us how you plan on attacking that change in the systems and processes at this new venture at this firm. Year one plan is to start accepting credit cards for payment. That's like okay, one of great. the first first changes. And clients will and love yeah, that. They definitely will. And yeah, we're gonna raise rates between ten and twenty percent, depending on the return. What? That seems very measly. That it'll be nineteen percent, but I in the you know, ten to twenty percent. Still sounds and like you're just covering inflation that your other firm didn't do. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your whole plan here. I gotta, I gotta keep my word with the old owners, and that's what we said we were going to do, and so Great. that's what we got. That's what we're gonna do. Keep um, everybody happy the first year. Build trust. It's keep important. my word. Keep my word. And a twenty percent growth is good, and we're gonna have some new business. So I think nineteen percent, nineteen percent on the price increase. We'll lose, you know, three percent of clients and. 19% increase. We're making more money, do a little bit less work. If we get a few new clients to do the same amount of work, then we should make 19% more, right? In theory. Yeah. In in theory. And then do a little more bookkeeping in the second half of the year than they've done in the past. And I think based on the numbers of on the bookkeeping, we could double that pretty sim pretty easily for year one and year two. So yeah, we, we see then year two do it again, 19, 20%. So then, then you're starting to get your raises up a little bit and maybe you do it year three. And then you start to actually turn over 10 or 20% of the client base that, that only 
are using you because of the price and and that's fine that's good that's that's yeah. the point <laughs> but it's probably a two-year process three-year process but until you really turn over some of those lower paying clients because like you said 20 percent on 200 that's not enough and i agree with you but got to keep your word to the old owners just because 30 of them 40 of them are going to be the kids who you know they were standing next to at soccer practice and if i'm breaking the word that they're putting into a client letter that's a problem so we gotta gotta stick with that for for this year but uh, maybe next year we'll put 15 to 25 percent if we get if we get real brave sounds honorable i think you could afford to do a 50 percent raise and and then in the herd a little bit and continue to be intentional about how you grow that's just i usually call that a price correction so you're gonna attack your payments methods and your pricing first how about any of the processes and the things that they have there. It sounds like you're going to utilize Lysio a little bit more. How are you also, what's the other things that you plan on changing in this first year? You don't want to rock the boat too much. We're going to make sure all of the support for all of the returns is scanned in. And that way next year we can actually work remotely for anything because this year that's not quite possible. For instance, the business returns, all the support is is on paper in a filing cabinet. So yeah, that's that process-wise, that has to change immediately, just sort of like with regards to what happens this year. But One other thing we that, did at my firm, it, that's a couple-year process too, to get all the... What we did was we took all of the old file cabinets and scanned them in. I had somebody just in charge of scanning every day. It was, it was an off-season thing, task to do, scan, categorize file everything and then purge take get the shredder to come and shred all of it so we didn't even have the file cabinets and we had more space to hire somebody we put another desk in there at the office that we had so that that's that sounds really good get things paperless so bunch of p's here we got payments pricing paperless what are some of the other things that you're going to attack process wise we want to create great process around the management of the returns, like the actual client lists going from client list to client letter to, to invoiced return. So it's currently, a I would use the word a bit of a cluster at the current moment. One owner does it one way and the other owner does it their way. There, there's not one process. So I, I kind of said, oh, that's how you do your business return. You know, how does uh, the other owner do it? I'm not sure. Got to ask her. So yeah, kind of laughed and thought to ourselves, well, Jerry, you and I are going to do it the same way. <laughs> and we kind of laughed and agreed and said, that, yeah, we just want to make sure that we're making it consistent and simple and talking about it, communicating with each other about it. And, and that way we can teach someone else how to do it and review how they did it without having to think. So just more consistency probably within how everybody's prepping, reviewing, and then like saving the support for any given return. That's going to be a key part too. Consistency is really important. So You've already have a practice that's established. You've been establishing a lot of changes there. Do you plan on bridging these two or are they going to be operating kind of separately as separate entities for a little while? Pretty separate. The one thing that we will do is we get a lot of tax return only requests in North Carolina and we're kind of like, hey, we kind of do businesses and it's bookkeeping and we do the whole thing or we don't really do it. Call it the all or nothing Ryan Lazanis package, right? And that's worked really well for us. But when someone calls now and says, hey, we just need a tax return, we might send that lead to the New Jersey operation and create some synergy there. Like maybe still invoice out of North Carolina, 
but the whole return prep and review and submission process is happening in New Jersey. So that's the one piece of synergy in the short term, but over time, maybe more and more. But this year, I don't want to overwhelm the North Carolina team. They have a busy tax season coming up and I don't want to, yeah, we will get there, but for the first six months, it'll probably operate pretty separately. Okay. What's your North Star for all of this acquisition? What do, what do you, what's driving you? Freedom. I want freedom of my time. Financial freedom. Financial freedom. So I want to work four hours a day, seven days a week, six days a week, maybe four times six. I think that's a, that's a great life for me. I want to work from 7am to 11am every day. That's, that's, and then go play golf or do something. Play golf, go do yoga, go, go read a book, go walk my dog, go, go do what, you know, go, uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of things I want to do in the afternoon, but I'm not a good worker in the afternoon. <laughs> okay, fair enough. How are you? How much are you working currently? This past year, I would say I worked 25 to 30 hour weeks. And going into this next year, I know darn well I'm working, yeah, 50s for the first four months. And then, yeah, hopefully I can get that below 40 after that. But yeah, this I've, I've bitten off a big, big chunk of meat up here in New Jersey, and I'm going to have to make sure that I do a good job of communicating and working together. And yeah, I'm really excited about that, but it's definitely going to be a different year for me than my first year in business. I worked fifties and and that was when I was learning from the old owner, that was probably the largest number of hours, but it was, as I get into this next year, I, yeah, it'll be a grind to this tax season. That's the plan. It's always a grind. Does it ever get overwhelming? Does all of this change and everything happen? Does it get overwhelming? Yeah, absolutely. How do you cope with that? Gratitude. I focus on what I'm grateful for and I circle back to how lucky I am in my life and to have the partner that I have and to be have the clarity and peace of mind and and know what I want. Yeah, I feel really grateful for uh, a lot of the things in my life. And I I always, whenever I get angry or frustrated or start to get a little negative, I, I circle back to what I'm grateful for. That's a great way to be. And it sounds like you've got a lot of foundational tools and things to help keep you motivated, but also to keep you grounded. That yoga, the gratitude, keeping human at the front forefront of all of it. Because if you lose your if you lose your focus and you lose why you're doing all of this and who you're doing it for, that's gonna get even more frustrating and more overwhelming and you're gonna get into a darker and darker, darker place. So Mapping out some of these processes and mapping out your your game plan for all of this is going to be important, but keeping the perspective and having patience too with all of it. Do you have any issues with patience? Are you an impatient <laughs> person? Very. I am. A, although in other ways, I'm very patient. I, I'm both a patient and an impatient person. I've, if you've ever ridden in a car with me, you might understand half of that equation. And if you've well, been to a yoga, yoga class, Massachusetts, yeah, 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 yeah. They call us mass holes up, up, up there. So yes, there's the drivers in Boston are meaner than the drivers in California. That is just straight true for those that have driven in both places. But yeah, I also, because I think I am naturally a little bit a high energy guy, I have really focused on taking control of my breath and my, my emotions and my, my, my brain and, and my thinking. And that's been a big part of my personal development over the last decade. So yeah, that's definitely something that I think a lot about. Well, you're an incredible golfer and you have extreme poise and I remember, I, I will always remember this one, you, you and I were on a team 
And this one like 50 foot putt, you sunk clean straight in and we further went. So there was a lot of poise there, but you're on the tee box. Sometimes you can stand like a flamingo, just like getting ready to hit. You're just balancing on one foot, just like kind of relaxing. So keeping that groundedness and that centeredness, what got you into that, the whole, the yoga practice and, and all of that, how did, how did that get started? Tight hamstrings is where it really started. I annoyed that I was couldn't touch my toes. That was I think that was where I first decided I'm going to yoga. But I think from there I learned a lot about yoga is a lot about like kind of looking inward and focusing on yourself and really truly like taking time to breathe and think, you know, I that that really resonated with me. And so some of the mental aspects inside of yoga kind of like they rung true. And so I listen when the instructors are speaking in yoga classes and try to take some of that in. So, but now it's more about the hips instead of the hammies, but we're, uh, you know, that's, I'm a couple years older. So you're a newly minted CPA and not once have I heard you complain about the actual work, the tax work or the bookkeeping work. You spend a lot of time working on the business and that's something that all of our students can learn, especially for those of us that started out in accounting and that was our pursuit in the beginning was doing the work and getting the work done for the client. It's hard for us to get out of that. Did you ever get tempted to get to dive into the work and and pull yourself in there as you became a CPA? There are a couple of situations where I am doing the work, including my dad's bookkeeping and accounting. And so I haven't been flawless at that, but that has been something I've communicated with my team from the start, which has really helped is just kind of being transparent and honest and planning, telling them that, Hey, the goal is for me to be working on the business, not in it. That's how we're going to grow. And that's how uh, this business is going to thrive. And so have I been tempted to get more in it? I'm jumping in it in, in New Jersey this year because I need to continue to evolve and be a real expert at doing certain types of tax returns that I don't have a ton of experience in that this new firm does. So, so yeah, part of it is just, I'm also just trying to continue learning and growing as an accountant. I'm, I, nobody knows everything and, and I'm in that boat too, but I want to be a resource for my team. And so I'm tempted more and more to, to jump in with my team and say, Hey, how can I help you guys solve problems? But I, I'm not super excited to be client facing unless there's a problem, then I'm happy to deal with that problem. So what were some of the things you learned early on that really made you want to do this from those CPAs and the conversations that you had through the accountants? What were some of the more impactful ones that you had that led you on this path? Good question. There's a couple of Canadian firms. Connect CPA is one. I really respected those guys and what they were building and how fast they were growing. And they were somebody who that when I first went to Canada, I spent a little time with and saw their operation. And and yeah, that was one. There are a lot though. I think going to the, the zero cons of the world, those are the most exciting. You go there and you meet a lot of partners that you see online and you see their posts and the Chad Davises, and just some of the folks that have really built big brands. And but But those, I think it's more to the firms that are smaller with four people, six people. And they're clearly successful at what they're doing. And I think if I'm being honest with you, they're not always that great at, at managing their business and their their operations and their processes are, are, aren't all that strong in certain situations. Now, don't get me wrong. The first two I mentioned, they have some of the crispest processes that are Absolutely. around, but it's some of the more four person shops where 
you know, they're doing a lot of stuff on paper. They're trying to use zero, but only doing it at a very small scale. And, and yet I, it's very clear that they're having success in there. That's part of the reason why it's so hard for them to change. I look at the whole industry too, and people aren't changing at the scale that you would think would happen. It's not happening as fast as I thought it would, I'd say over the last five years. And that blows my mind. So that's where I just see, like I said, massive opportunity to, to use the tools that exist use processes that are superior to the, what the mass vast majority of firms are doing. I feel as though it's chances of success are really high when you're doing that stuff. Sure. Well, your energy and your drive to the, do this and for the changes inspired me, especially early on, you've been very excited about doing it. And I haven't seen you get too discouraged. I've seen you slow down at some points here and there, but now you're on to another acquisition. And I think if you continue to do this, you're going to be able to create processes that you can then later teach other accountants and firm owners on how to do that because there's going to be a vast exodus that is already happening and that is coming from a lot of these older firm owners that are doing things in an old way that are not motivated to change. When they are ready to sell their firms, pennies on the dollar, as we all know, and plenty of opportunity there because the clients aren't going anywhere. A lot of the clients, you know, all of these businesses a lot of small businesses that are going to need help as we get into our crisis of talent in this profession. Got a lot of people retiring, not a lot of people going into accounting, massive opportunity. So what do you see as the future for you when doing all of this and creating all these new processes and systems? What's your plan? I love the way you painted that picture because I see the exact same thing happening. And they, these firm, they're going to have no one to sell the firms to. Uh, you know who wants to buy the firms are people who want to sell them 401k services. That's who wants to buy the firms more than CPAs. And so they're like, oh, we'll outsource your, your tax return work. We just want to sell your clients 401ks. <laughs> so the wealth management. Yeah, they want to buy these firms. They, they they've gotten offers. The firm we're buying, but but the firm owners don't want to sell their businesses to those folks because they're not going to treat their clients well. They're going to use and use and abuse their clients and churn them and burn them, and and they'll lose half the practice. And they don't care as long as they can sell four hundred one k services to you know twenty or thirty percent. Then it, they'll make their money back probably. So it's going to be an interesting turn because that's like more than half of the people who are talking to this firm that I'm buying were those type of folks. So I was, I was fascinated to hear that, to be honest. Really? So uh, a lot of these owners do care about their clients. They've been doing this for 40 years, 50 years, and they have built these relationships with people and they know they're helping people and they don't want to leave everybody in the dust. Just because they're ready to retire doesn't mean that their clients should have to suffer. Yep. Exactly right. I reached out to a guy who his bit shop is right up the street from where I live. I called him yesterday. He's, he's excited to go out for drinks. And he said he did the same thing with some guy 20 years ago when he was starting his firm up. But uh, so maybe I got my next acquisition in the works up the street here. But well, you've expressed interest in buying my firm. You've said that I have some incredible systems and processes and people. Okay. That's two of the most important things in this business is well, number one is people, having the right people and, and just people is the center of all of this in order to be able to do what I do. I got to have great people and I got to have great systems processes. I think I owe a lot of the systems processes early on to the platform that I'm on. Paget had a lot of great foundational ways of working with clients and systems and 
ways to do things and ways to look at the work instead of getting bogged down in a lot of the details, looking at the bigger picture, the way that we created our chart of accounts, the way that we were pricing, the way that we had fixed pricing, a lot of that, you know, not doing hourly, a lot of that was grounded in those foundational systems. But then it also, I experienced a lot of change and things that they weren't doing. And I dove into the tech headfirst, which was distracting in a way. Um, so what is it about, you know, from your perspective, what is it about my systems and processes that you like or that you, that you think that you need to implement in your practice? Eventually, your marketing is too advanced for what I need right now, to be honest, because you have a nice funnel that comes to you. And, and I've heard you talk about it with regards to your ability to kind of, when you want to sell, you can close 70 or 80% of the time, but the rest of the time it's 10%. I, I'm envious of that approach. But also I think I want, in the short term, I need a good sales process. And your pro sales process is strong, strong enough that you don't have to be involved in it and it can thrive. So yeah, that's the level of effectiveness that I want with every process within my business, right? It can run just fine whether I'm doing it or not. And until that's the case, then I don't think your processes are great. So short term, what I want to improve upon is my sales process. Yeah. Well, it does work without me, but we're not growing. My firm is not growing. I'm not, I don't have a great HR process to hire people to continue to grow the firm without me. So the firm kind of stays still now that I'm, I've exited, but everything else is running smooth. The ship is running smooth. Everybody's happy because they don't necessarily want to grow too. And I think that you have to stay involved. If you want to continue to grow this, your team is not going to necessarily want all that growth because that means more work for them and more stress and more more burden bringing them on new things. Here's this new tech tool that we're going to learn. But wait, I got to finish all these tax returns. Yeah, but you're going to have to learn Lysio first and you're going to have to learn how to scan all this. That's very frustrating for a lot of accountants. So Definitely. how do you plan on tackling that and continuing to grow? Are you going to continue to grow through acquisition or are you going to start to create some marketing and sales systems? You hit on it with employees. You got to have a few employees. You got to figure out how to hire. And that's one of the big challenges with the business in New Jersey is there's going to be a lot more work in Q1 than the other three quarters. So how do we handle that? Uh, and how do we do so effectively and at scale? Uh, big challenges for us in the short term, but fun challenges to help solve for and find the right type of folks who are going to do a great job and want to work 40 or 50 hours during one quarter of the year and and maybe not at all the other three quarters. So yeah, that's our current challenge. But I think that as far as how we're thinking about it, I think we're trying to think about it as two different models. Like New Jersey, we need to really figure out how to scale up for a quarter and, and then still sustain a business for three other quarters. And maybe if we can add enough bookkeeping revenue, the model can start to shift more like the North Carolina model. Whereas in North Carolina, I think the model is like... We'd stick to the all or nothing type package. We continue to make our pricing better. And so we don't get too overwhelmed during tax season and we can still thrive four quarters a year. So, and so, yeah, I think it's a little bit two different strategies in the short term. And as far as where we need to focus, it's kind of like keep the main thing in North Carolina, whereas in New Jersey, it's how the heck do we scale up for a quarter and, and, and have great people who care and have our values and things like that. So that's the challenge right now. This year, build great process so that we can even have other people do all of the work. Sure. <laughs> and then next year, figure out how to hire effectively three to six people for a quarter.
and, and, and do a great job managing them and helping them feel like they're a part of something that's bigger than just processing tax returns. So, so tell me about the makeup of your teams. How many people do you have? What kind of roles are there? You've got yourself. How many in North Carolina? How many in New Jersey? In North Carolina, we have five, six, seven people. And one of those people is focused on operations. She still does some accounting and, and some payroll, but and some tax returns, but she's trying to transition out of that role. And then there's two folks who share administrative duties um, at the front desk. And so they're like in a job share type of a situation. And then we have one full-time accountant who's a rock star. She's the best. And then we got two other accountants who are currently part-time and maybe working towards full-time in the future, but maybe not, maybe part-time forever if that's what they so desire. So that's the makeup in North Carolina. And, and in all Jersey, based in North Carolina, do they all go into an office, physical office? The administrative folks, yes, 100% of the time. And everybody else, it's a hybrid type of a thing. Yeah, one day a week in the office is sort of the unwritten expectation and everyone pretty much does that. But there are certain weeks where folks might be totally remote. And no big deal at all. What do they do for the one day that they're in the office? What do they do differently? They try to meet with and speak with other people on the team as far as like questions they have. I think that's what oftentimes people want to, hey, let's just do that when we're together next week. It's like training or trying to learn something. I think they like to be next to each other when they're when they're talking through something that's difficult. So the in-person aspect of this hybrid is what they need. That's that one day a week in the office and the rest of it. Do they meet with clients? Two of them would potentially meet with clients, but not very often, once a month or potentially okay. even less than that. And the New Jersey team? New Jersey team is me and Jerry. We're going to be co-owners up here. And then the old two co-owners, they will be working with us through this tax season. And then there are one, two, three tax preparers. And there are two administrative folks on the New Jersey team. Okay. Um, so it sounds very similar in size and makeup. What are the top lines for both of these firms? They're like almost, a, they're within $5,000 of each other. It's actually like remarkable for 2023. One of them was 630 and one was 634. I told you on the phone the other day, I, I bought my way to a million dollars. Scott, are you proud of 1. me? 1.2 million. I'm not <laughs> proud of you for that, but you should be proud of yourself. Um, I think that's great. I think that you've gotten to where you can have a very healthy mix of clients, of teams, and geography. I think what you're missing here is some more outsourcing here for your margins. At what point do you think you might be open to that? Or would you ever be open to outsourcing? It's like with work? regards to bookkeeping, like hiring someone. Offshoring. In anything like that, even even more hybrid where the people aren't very centrally located. I'm not projecting like you should do this. I'm asking if that's a possibility. It could be if we were 100% using the same software and had processes that were that tight. But I think that could happen. I wouldn't say it couldn't. But It doesn't sound like it's on the near horizon though. No. And it's it would scare clients, to be honest, for sure. So would I it would scare be... clients? Or does it scare you? Or does it scare your team? It would, it scares me. It would scare some clients in North Carolina more so than New Jersey probably, but I think it would be, yeah, there would be fear. I think also think what yeah, is the, the older, fear? the older a client, the more likely they'd be afraid of 
their information getting stolen or yeah, vulnerability. They would think it would be unnecessary vulnerabilities, hypothetically, I think. That wouldn't necessarily stop me from doing it, but I think if I was to do it, I would want to hire have like a, an employee who worked in another country and had they be part full-time part of the team. I know a lot of people, that's exactly how they do it, but that might work really well. But I'd want it to be a place that I could go and meet the people or the, uh, the employees and yeah, actually. You yeah. can do, yeah. I, I, I'm The only reason I'm suggesting this is for the sake of your margins too, moving forward. It sounds like you've got a lot of a lot of process, you know, a lot of people that are doing grunt work, maybe. And a lot of that work, if you do want to elevate these people, then you're going to have to find another person to replace them. What I found was better work getting done on my team in the Philippines. The work that they're doing is equivalent, if not equivalent, better. Now, this is fully remote now, too. Our team is fully remote. And I found that some of those fears were unfounded. I have a team member who's originally from India, but she lives here and she speaks, her English is fine. She has an accent. And I had some people that thought she was in India and they were concerned and they didn't even really ask or know if we had anybody else in the Philippines or anything else. They wanted to work with somebody else because they thought she was in India. And I, mm. we asked why we got down to it. And Honestly, there was no reason why. There was no fear there. It was just a cultural thing, too. Mm. So we've learned that that wasn't even a situation. That's not even a client anymore. They're not a client anymore. There was other issues going on there. But that was one of those eye-opening moments where it's like, maybe people just want to work with somebody that they feel like they can relate to. But the work itself, the work that's getting done, nobody cares how it gets done. It could be automated. It could be a person. It could be somebody in India, in the Philippines, anywhere else. Nobody actually cares. They want to work with somebody that could speak their language, not like actual speaking their language, but culturally, there's a lot that goes unsaid about just being able to have a conversation with somebody and feel like you could relate to them. That's what really builds the relationship, that human relationship. And I don't think that could happen with somebody that's just doing the work that's somewhere overseas. They, it's harder for them to build that relationship because they can't have any of the cultural ties. And they can't have a conversation about something that they both experienced. So that's one of the issues. But what are some of these other fears that you have? You said you also had fears. Yeah, I think I want to make sure that the people on the team are doing a good job representing us. And I I guess my one of my fears is that it might take me a minute longer to realize if that was the case of someone, but it's you're right. It's, it's the, these are maybe somewhat unfounded and yeah, I think maybe just the perception of me offshoring is something I'm afraid of is how that might be perceived by clients or by others. But uh to your point, like the work's getting done, it's getting done right, it's getting done on time. If one client complains because they don't like someone's accent, that can get addressed, but it doesn't mean that it's a good a good good complaint or it doesn't mean that they had a good reason for bringing some something up as long as someone, like I said, you know, I can meet them, they practice our values, then yeah, who cares where they sit if they if they can live a comfortable, happy life and they cost the firm half as much money. I, I don't see what, where, yeah. That's, oh, it's, that's it's a, less than half. It's like a it's fourth, sometimes a fifth of what you pay somebody here. It, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the cost of yeah. living there, obviously, but there's, there's other yeah. things. I mean, we consider our team in the Philippines, our team. They're part of our team. They're on our website now. And, you know, there's, there, we're starting to build those, the culture on both sides. So we're 
we're experiencing somewhat of a you know a flat model where it doesn't matter where anybody is as long as they can get the work done we can input insert them into our systems it's been actually easier to onboard people in the philippines lately than it has been in us how many people do you have in the philippines we have four full-time now is one of them kind of the leader of the four or no we don't really have a leader we're still leading through here uh, we do have a team that a uh, company that manages it so it's the back room that's managing it. it used to be double rule um, turned into the back room uh they've been great they handle a lot of that administrative stuff so there is somebody there that's kind of leading it but everybody there's hybrid too there's no office that they're going to so everybody's kind of working from home um you know and again we have a lot of the technology and the systems in place to allow us to do that I don't think you have that yet. That's a big fear. That would have, that was a big fear of my team and of mine as we started doing this. That took about three years to be able to, from the first person that we started full part-time there to having somebody full-time and being able to offload a lot of the work, it was about a three-year process that I wasn't heavily involved in either. So we took our processes here and we ported them all over and made sure that everything was transparent. All the work that's getting done is transparent. Everybody sees where everything is at, the status of it. But that was through our technology. Technology allowed us and enabled us to do that. So I'm just giving you some things to think about on the horizon. Where do you manage your tasks so that everybody is aware of what work is done and carbon. what work isn't done? All in carbon? All in carbon. Everything everything is housed in there, which you can use any system that you want. Um, Lysio is actually going to probably work for you too. I'm not sure of the advancements there, but I know that you can handle a lot of that. Then a lot of the client-facing stuff happens easier in Lysio than it does in Carbon. Carbon isn't necessarily client-facing. It's more back office. I've seen teams use a hybrid of both. But uh, let's get back to Teddy and Teddy's big dreams and aspirations for his firm. So you're going to be at over a million. Do you have a long-shot goal or something that you want to get to or you want to keep doing acquisitions at what point you mentioned michael lee and his acquisitions he grows like crazy he's doing another acquisition every other week growing his firm to no end i'm not sure what his big goal is there so for you do you have a goal that you're that's driving you to, to do all these acquisitions and to want to you've expressed i've targeted my next acquisition right like what's the goal i think this go with jerry i want to really hone in on the process of building the process, if that makes sense. The process of building the process. Okay. So I want to, I want to show, I want to be able to teach someone else how to, Hey, I'm going to buy this firm. These are all the things you need to do to wrangle all this paper to help get us there to do so in a way that's kind and, and not judgmental and human. In a human way, right? You got to treat these old owners like humans. You got to don't call their baby ugly. You got to remind yourself that they built a really successful business and made a lot of money for a long time doing it, doing it the old way. There's a reason they, they didn't go through all that change because the pain of the present wasn't greater than the pain of the perceived change. And so it wasn't worth it. And, and, and you know what? It's just because that's how they saw it doesn't mean that's how I see it. And as long as I'm kind to them about it and consistent with what I say I'm going to do and I, keep my word. So yeah, like I said, I'm trying to hone in on how I, we're executing over the next year, learn from it, do better the next time. But yeah, we'll we'll continue acquiring firms in the future. But I talked to Jerry about it. When, when are we allowed to try to buy another firm? I already said it to her. She said, uh, after next tax season, we'll talk. You know, not until then. So, so you got um, a year and a half for year your and a half. dreams to percolate and continue to 
to do this, but focus on the present, sir. You know this better than anybody is be present, be human, be human, give and show up for everybody and and communicate really well. Yeah. I've got two firms now, two, a lot of more people than before that, but the way Jerry and I communicate is she's going to be managing internal people and I'll maybe manage external people with regards to our firm. So what does um, that mean? What's an external, the clients? She'll do be handling like HR and she'll be handling like our process and implementing that process with our team and executing some of that stuff. Whereas if there's a client problem, like Teddy's going to deal with that. If there's, uh, we need to go talk to the bank, like Teddy's going to deal with that. If we need to deal with people outside of our business, that's on Teddy. So you're um, the success manager and she's the operations manager. Yeah. yeah. That sounds fantastic. Definitely want to segment that. For sure. You don't want to mix into both because there's two different animals when you're dealing with the team and you're dealing externally. That's what I have. I have the, my two, man, my management team, one is outward facing, one is inward facing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, and and Jerry and I have the same value set. And I think you used those words for me one time about you and your wife and just how like that's why your relationship works no matter what. Like, well, we might not make the exact same decision in one moment to the next, but she's following the same set of values that I have. And so I'm not going to be too upset with the result no matter what. And so you said that something along those lines to me and that has stuck with me. I remember that conversation. And yeah. So I actually, Jerry and I summed up our, uh, our values for our business. And the first two are easier than the third, but accountability and then, you know, that's just all about communication and doing what you say you're going to do and stuff like that. Uh, number two is kindness and everything we do, the way we treat each other within the business, the way we treat our clients, the way that our clients are going to treat us or they will no longer be clients. Um, so that's a big one, kindness. And then the third one, just just having like a growth and a learner's mindset just because we're never going to know everything. So we got to continue being willing to challenge the status quo, challenge what we're doing and, and be cool with and encourage others to challenge what we're doing so that we can continue improving. So, so yeah, those are, those are our three values that we're going to try our best to keep top of mind when we get frustrated and when things don't go our way and kind of circle back to some of those when we're making decisions and keep those top of mind. AKG, accountability, kindness, and growth. I like it. Those sound like core values to keep across both practices. Yep, definitely. That's great. So give our students one thing to leave with. What's one biggest thing that you've learned in your journey of doing this? You went from desk you went from cloud CEO to desktop CPA back to cloud CEO. It sounds like you've got this growth CEO mindset again. I love it. Love what I'm hearing. Give our students something that they can leave with. When it comes to buying a firm, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Ooh, what does that mean? It means that if you think you can go do this, then you can and you will. And people might tell you that that's a bad idea and that you shouldn't or that you can't or you were not going to be able to get financing or this or that. But and you might not get the first deal that comes across that you really want. And it might they might sell to somebody else. It might be the 10th time. But if you decide that you want to do this, you can go do it. And you can, there's all kinds of creative ways. If you convince an owner that they want to sell to you, like they'll do owner financing, there's different ways you can make this happen. And it's not always getting a loan from a bank. And so, but if you don't think this is what you want to do and this is, then, then don't like, like I, to me, it's listen to your own heart upon this one and, uh, and don't let anyone discourage you if they tell you that it's a bad idea. Yeah. So if you got some people telling you, you should grow, but you don't think you need to then don't. And other people telling you, you shouldn't do this. Don't. I love that. Listen to yourself. Find your own North Star and follow that. 
That's dope. Great session here. Thanks for joining me at Speaking of North Stars, Scott, though, yes. uh, are are you willing to share publicly what you're you're doing next week to help find your North Star? Oh, I'm uh I am going to Costa Rica, doing ayahuasca. That's I uh, plan on going through the purge, getting rid of all my negativity, all of the negative emotions built up, pent up, and purging all of that and coming out with a new light. I don't know what that is. I don't know what I'm searching for, but I know that there's something here, something here that I'm doing. I almost quit all this accounting high stuff fairly recently, but instead I, I spawned it off into five new shows. So here we are. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I, I just, I told Scott the other day, I did all my CPDs. I was listening to a lot of some of his old podcasts and uh, getting, getting them all for last year. And uh, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to listen to more of, of the podcast. And I love, I love the segmentation, by the way. I really do. Uh, two of them really spoke to me. Uh, what, you know, what's your the most, what are the ones that speak to you most? Monday. I mean, but Monday and Wednesday, and I'm excited to listen to Friday. Friday's a little out of my league. I'm not quite Friday good yet, but for, you know, the varsity is, is, is something I aspire to be on that team in the future, but I'm not there yet. But Wednesday operations, that's, that's, I, I'm thinking about operations a hundred percent of the time and process, process, process. I, it's, I preach it. I, I live it. I, I love it. And so, uh, yeah, I'll be tuning in Mondays and Wednesdays for sure. I love that. Well, Monday's the guide. Wednesday's operations, Friday's varsity team. And in the middle there, we got tech time and then we got, uh, social studies. So stay tuned for more. We got a lot of things coming with us for our students at Accounting High. I'm going to, I'm going to ride us out with the Accounting High theme overarching the umbrella for all of them. May I have your attention, Class please? dismissed. From cloud accounting, see way back to desktop accounting, advisory and tech apps adopt, went solo with the rap, Scotty's still the same, Raleigh is the spot where I edutain, like, share, connect, comment, follow this, and subscribe to our podcast, next one we drop, cause you know it don't stop, it's 24-7 on the accounting highlight, TikTok clips don't watch, just some shitty tax talk, cleaning up accounting with a bucket and a mop, then we lean back and nod, cause the class is about to start at accounting high, Scotty, OKR.